if you are passionate about what you're doing and you treat that job as the most important job in the world and you try to make your work the most important work in the world, it is going to show and you will elevate. Everything will go to the next level because people will notice a difference in what you do. Hey listeners, Allison Wright back with another episode of Tips from Chips. This week I decided to virtually venture over to Nate's territory, the West Coast, to catch up with a leader from one of the NBA's newest and most sustainable venues. Aaron Rush is not only the Vice President of Arena Operations at the Golden One Center, home to the Sacramento Kings, but a fellow experience and engagement enthusiast. We talk through the many facets of venue operations, as well as how to engage, inspire, and motivate the valuable frontline team members and empower them to create memorable experiences for our guests. All right, Aaron, welcome to Tips from Chips. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be here with you. Um, So for everybody listening, Aaron and I met back in 2019 at an NBA game experience roundtable. So for anybody who isn't aware, the NBA has a really robust, um, they have a really robust program in place for all the different arenas and venues and teams to learn from each other very often on monthly calls. um, And then they have usually an annual roundtable. So Aaron and his team were very gracious to host us at the Golden One Center back in, in 2019. Um, so we, we toured your facility, um, a beautiful facility, very sustainable, um, just incredible space opened in 2016. So just the, the older sibling of Little Caesars Arena. Um, so for guests who have never, or listeners who have never been there before, can you kind of paint a picture of what the Golden One Center is? Sure. So like when we started out, we had our owner had uh, an amazing vision. Our owner is Vivek Ranadive. He was a former owner of TIBCO, uh, best known for real time data and Mm, helping to digitize Wall Street. So uh, really sort of a heavy tech uh, focus. But his vision was uh, Coliseum or Civilization 2.0, and for this to be the Coliseum of the 21st century, uh, and to sort of be our communal fireplace. And this was supposed to be the center of Sacramento and to be the new center of Sacramento. That was like our original vision. And we wanted to be the most sustainable building in the world. We wanted to be the most technologically advanced building in the world. We wanted to be something uniquely Sacramento We also wanted to have really special food. And we created a 9150 food program where 90% of our food is sourced within 150 miles. And we wanted to have this seamless guest experience to where things happened in real time. And like to that end, we created a room that we call mission control. And any conceivable element in the building that is, uh, that measures something is recorded and displayed in that room. And we have people from security, from housekeeping, from food and beverage, guest experience. We have local police department, fire department. Uh, We have all elements together in that room, seeing sort of all data of what's going on. And it's really helped make all the services seamless. And so that uh, when a guest comes up, everything just works. And if something's not working, we're deploying in real time to get it repaired and to get it back up. 
yeah. before people know. So as a guest comes and you start to see the world's most sustainable building, uh, 100% of our power comes from solar. We actually produce 15% of our power on the roof. The other 85% comes from a solar farm about 30 miles away. And wow. so everything in the building is, uh, has to deal with sustainability from LED lighting to, we have an air displacement system for our HVAC system. So it does a high volume, low velocity of air that trickles out from underneath the seats. So it creates a bubble over the seating area and you're not air conditioning all the cubic square footage of the arena, just the air, the area where people are sitting. And it wow. gives a greater quality of air and helps keep it cleaner. It's, it's safer. And it's basically always pushing air away from where people are sitting and then getting exhausted out the, through the ceiling. So it works really, really good. And, helps make a, a big difference in, in the ambiance and the feeling in the venue so that it just feels clean. It's a real open floor plan. Uh, a lot of arenas have uh, uh, sort of a compartmentalized uh, experience. So your experience, if you go to some arenas, you could probably have 10 or 20 different experiences uh, in more of a micro manner. Ours is more of a macro experience to where uh, all of the 18,000 fans have the same experience because it, the rooms, there's no walls between the concourse and the seating area. So you can see the game while you're standing at a concession stand, which we call local eats. Mm -hmm. uh, and the food at the concessions are, are definitely unique. Uh, we did a lot of study. We did a lot of uh, consumer uh, questionnaires and focus groups. And like when you break down your concession numbers, you actually find out that most of the stands are only selling three to five actual food items hmm. and everything else on that menu is noise. So it hmm. takes somebody more time to process it when they're standing there and you have a hundred things to pick from, everyone will pick from one of three items. And it's actually pretty amazing when you run numbers and can see it more in a macro uh, element, how simple it really is. And it was about eliminating elements from a menu to streamline it and, and dedicating each of our 16 local eat stands to one element and then really doing that one element better than anybody else. So one place may only sell pizza but it might have three types of pizza. And okay. so uh, one place may sell rotisserie chicken, but it may have a couple of variations of that. So you don't have this, this massive menu in each place. You go to the place that you think uh, the, for the food you want. And when we launched this, we got ranked number one in the NBA for best food variety. And I don't know that we had more variety than anyone else. We, we just marketed it and branded it different to where it wasn't having 16 items in each of the stands. It was having one item in each stand. And then all the equipment in that stand is then designed to make that really good. And so you're not trying to do 16 things, you're trying to do one thing. And so it cuts down on labor, it makes it more efficient and 
it actually gives a, a much better experience for the guest and a higher quality food product. Yeah, well, by the time they get to the, the to the stand, they already know, hey, I want a pizza, right? So it's then it's just which type of, of pizza. Um, so yeah, it must be a lot quicker for the stand worker, for the guests, yep. for everyone. It makes it a lot quicker. And, uh, you know, and now technology is changing a lot of this. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, to work on that to the, everything's going digital. So uh, everything will be app-based to where, okay. uh, you know, you order your food and it's brought to your seat or you order your food and you pick it up. Uh, and, you know, we just coordinate the pickup time and location. So uh, it's definitely a big change in the air. Uh, you know, we're in, we're in a shift because of the pandemic uh, about how we service guests and what that experience is going to look like. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you touched on food because that was one of the highlights of our experience at the round table. <laughs> it was just the incredible food. And I, I, there was a sandwich, I believe, which included a donut and included chicken. Am I remembering that correctly? Is that one of your offerings? You are. Yes. We, that is our chicken and donut sriracha sandwich. So, yeah, the so, sriracha. How'd I forget? It is a spicy chicken and it's a glazed donut that's cut in half. And then the fried chicken, uh, it's actually a chicken thigh that is uh, fried. And then it, sriracha sauce is put on it and so it good. is sweet and it is spicy and it is pretty amazing. Yeah. What are some of your other um, top items that guests really enjoy while they're there? So some of the things we tried to create were things that were unique. So things you can't get like out on the street. And uh, some of the things are fan favorites as well. So uh, like our popcorn is locally grown and then we pop it fresh right in front of you. So it's, wow. you know, uh, it, it's really like a farm to fork taste and touch. Uh, the some of the proud points though are we created in partnership with Sierra Nevada Brewing, which is 70 miles away from the arena, uh, a beer that you can only buy in the arena called Proud Ale. And we only sell it in one place in the arena, and that is in the Sierra Nevada Draft House. Mm. And it's only on two taps, and it is the number three selling beer in the whole arena. Wow. People come to the arena. They say, where can I try that beer? And they go up to the draft house and you can actually see the game from the draft house. Oh, so yeah. while they're watching the game, they purchase a Sierra Nevada draft beer called Proud Ale. And it, it is a highlight for people. A lot of people are big fans of Sierra Nevada uh, and they will travel just to come and try that beer because it's a unique element. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you guys have fans that like aren't necessarily even basketball fans, but they're more like craft beer fans who just want to give it a try? Well, I'm sure that is the case. Uh, I think everything works like that. Uh, I think you have to define all these different uh, details. 
And it's the sum of all those details that kind of creates this guest experience for everyone. Yeah. And so one element may be basketball, which is probably driving 90 some percent of our attendance, right? But like yeah. you may have this person that's on the fence and uh, their or their friend is pushing them to go and they're like, oh, I heard about that beer. I'm going to go and I'm going to try that. So it, it might not be a primary driver, but it might be a a secondary driver if they're on the fence about coming and can help get them here to help enjoy that. Uh, similarly, we created another partnership with Bogle Wines, which is 11 miles away from the arena. And uh, we created a wine uh, in partnership with them. Uh, we went down and met with the winemaker and had a bunch of our executives and we went through different taste profiles and talked about what we thought would sell and we did our own blend for the arena that you can only buy at the arena mm. and it's called proud roots and i think we okay. debuted it during the game experience roundtable. so it was mm. yeah. a fantastic uh project and uh people come because they're big fans of bogle wine and you know not that that's a primary driver but definitely helps people that are on the fence of coming to be a little more motivated to come and enjoy themselves and to have a good glass of wine while they're here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you've kind of already touched on um, something else that I want to hop into, but Golden One Center is located within an inter entertainment district, right, in Sacramento? Yep. So um, can you kind of talk about, that was a really, I really enjoyed how during the roundtable you guys got us into that community, um, the hotel we stayed at and one of the um, restaurants we went to during our whole experience with you guys. So can you kind of talk about the partnership between the Kings um, Golden One Center and the, is it Doko? It's called Downtown Commons and it's okay. Doko for short. So what's that partnership look like? Well, it's, uh, so I guess it's sort of like, you have to think of it as less of a partnership and more of a family because it's all one group. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the King's organization is the overarching group that uh, gives the direction on how the, the ebb and the flow is for the whole district. And um, the individual shops and experiences inside the district are unique and, and they are independent. So uh, the Kings are their landlords and uh, help to unify everything under one flag. So everything's unified under one flag with one common purpose. And that's to help elevate this guest experience and give people unique uh, experiences in Sacramento. And some crazy things have happened since we opened. And there, in between the time we broke ground and when we opened, there was more than a billion dollars of land transactions that took place in land touching uh, us. Wow. So everything had <laughs> wow. sort of flipped within uh, that two year process. And since we've opened, it's been another 2.5 billion uh, within the blocks wow. around that. So it's been this, this really amazing investment right around the center where everyone's trying to uh, tap into the energy that comes for a game or for a concert or for an event little bit on hold right now, but it hasn't stopped progress. We actually have two hotels currently under construction that wow. are going, that are scheduled to open as soon as uh, travel restrictions are, are, are eased. So uh, two brand new hotels will be on property 
new new vendors coming in and new experiences. Uh, and one of the elements that you experienced was punch bowl social. And it was, uh, we had a bowling uh, night there the first night. And uh, we also had our champagne tasting room. Uh, that uh, was another experience we had, completely, completely unique. There's very few champagne tasting rooms in the world. And we're lucky to have one of them on property. And it is highly popular. And there is always people there. And people are enjoying themselves there on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think the champagne room was probably my, my favorite experience. Cause it was very intimate. It was very, um, the waiters and waitresses were extremely knowledgeable. Um, it was just, I had never been to a space like that before. Um, something else that was extremely seamless was the hotel actually is connected or you can get to the hotel without going outside to gold one center. Right. So that's, yeah. um, you know, just another, very thoughtful detail for experiences for, um, you know, anybody who's going from one place to the other. Yeah. And uh, we currently, every single NBA team that comes in to play in our building stays in the hotel. And nice. so uh, they have become really good at hosting NBA teams, which is fantastic because there's an art to that as well. And, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, some of the beds were made special for that. And, you oh, know, wow. some of the elements of the hotel were actually made to host NBA players, okay. which is a little different than most, but most beds aren't made for seven footers. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Um, well, so I want to hop into your current responsibilities and your current role, um, but I kind of want to take a step back and talk about where everything started for you. So when you studied, when you were at CMU, you studied facility management and sports studies and uh, marketing. So what were you involved in while you were at CMU? Um, and what has your path been that's led you to be a VP at a NBA arena? Yeah. So while I was at Central, I worked in the athletic department and I worked in the box office and I Ooh, sold nice. tickets. And I, you know, I started selling tickets in 1989 and I haven't stopped selling tickets ever since. So nice. Yeah. Um, it seems like everything I do, I have to sell tickets. And uh, we helped coordinate the season ticket, uh, season ticket orders and the single game day orders and uh, I would say ticket sales at that point was a lot less uh, complicated. Uh, okay. Like today is much more sophisticated in how we sell tickets. Uh, we actually didn't have a computer in the office when I was there. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, we had to print all the tickets for the entire stadium for every event. And then we sold wow. them based on the hard printed ticket, there was only one ticket and you sold it. So, wow. uh, and when we did some of the other shows, like the entertainment shows, they would say, I need a ticket count. Well, that meant we had to like go through this rack and count every <laughs> single ticket to oh see what was still there. <laughs> wow. So definitely a different experience at that point. Um, I think my last year there, we were getting computers to start computerized ticketing. Okay. which is now the only way I can think of it, right? Like, yeah, well, it, now they don't even want to give out hard tickets, real physical tickets. Physical tickets don't exist anymore. Right. So it's <laughs> right. insane to think like that was the only thing. 
And yeah. like that piece of paper was like the only way you were getting in. Yeah. Uh, and that was it. So super, it was a great start. And uh, it was a lot of fun selling tickets and helping like with the sports camps in the summer and just doing anything and everything that was needed to be done with uh, the athletic department. And, and from there, I was able to get an internship with the Pistons and the Palace. And that was fantastic. And I helped do sports marketing and the arena marketing there to where we were selling the tickets or we were marketing the tickets for all of the concerts and all of the of public events that were happening outside of the team at the palace and at Pine Knob at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, we were, we had 80 concerts at Pine Knob during the summer I was there. It was fantastic mm-hmm. and super busy. and. I just kind of assumed that's how it was everywhere. Uh, yes. and from yeah. there, I moved to Miami to go to grad school at St. Thomas University. Mm-hmm. And we were going through a tour at the amphitheater there. And I'm like, oh, man, we only have four months in Michigan. It's like, these guys got to do like <laughs> hundreds of concerts. Yeah. And we're going on the tour and the executive director of the amphitheater is telling us, he's like, yeah, we're scheduled to do 16 concerts this year and it's a record. And I'm like, we did 80 at Pine Knob. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. that just seemed like normal at the time. Like yeah. no, nobody was stressed about it. There wasn't like this big celebration that we did 80. It was just kind of expected. And yeah. uh, it, it, it's a lot of work to do that many, but like it also, uh, it's easier because you're dealing in volume. So yeah. Uh, I remember us creating ads and the ad would basically feature every single concert we had coming up. And like, we actually ran them in newspapers at the time. And mm-hmm. like, uh, it was several years later when like these social networking sites actually got developed, but like that's changed marketing and, and ticket sales uh, even more. Yeah. And, uh, Miami was great. And I worked at the University of Miami, uh, for the athletic department there. Uh, And then I worked for the Miami Heat and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, And I was actually a sports information director for the community college there while I was there to kind of just expand my background as I was getting ready to kind of go out into the workforce. Uh, And at the time, the owner of the Dolphins was a gentleman named Wayne Huizinga. And he had a private management company uh, that ran the Miami arena and several other venues throughout the country. And, uh, they asked me to join their family. And, uh, so I stopped doing some direct sport sporting events and joined the facility management group that ran arenas and venues and other elements, uh, around the country and around North America. Okay. And they moved me from Miami to Palm Springs, California. So it was kind of a, a big jump and I was with that group for 13 years and uh, they moved me all around and it was a lot of fun with a lot of different responsibilities and it was really a time to kind of grow and uh, the management groups have really great structure. So, you know, while there is some flexibility and some individuality that can happen, they have a pretty rigid system to kind of teach you what's expected. So it kind of brings you up in their shadow, so to speak, of uh, hearing what the other venues are doing daily, but not from like an association standpoint, but from 
you know, we're part of the same company. Uh, you need to pick up your pace a little bit or, you know, uh, Interesting. How, how did you do that? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, just a lot of fun. It moved me from uh, Palm Springs to El Paso, Texas. I lived in Pikeville, Kentucky. Uh, it moved me to Mexico City, Mexico, where we took okay. over the World Trade Center in Mexico City. Uh, moved me to Acapulco, Mexico, where okay. uh, I was the leader of a major development, 900-room hotel, uh, 750,000-square-foot exhibition center, 4,800-seat uh, entertainment venue, and we had 12 restaurants, 32 uh 32 shops and experiences, and it was right in the heart of Acapulco Diamante, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden, 2008 hit, and like the entire economy went on hold, and mm -hmm. it was like, okay, time to come back to the U.S. So uh, all my international fun was put on hold for a little bit, and we came back, and my wife was just real interested in moving somewhere in the middle of America. So we moved to Iowa and okay. <laughs> it was a big shock. I think, uh, the kids, uh, were growing, they, they were getting really used to growing up in Acapulco and, uh, uh, moving to Iowa was a big shock for them, but, uh, we ran a CVB and a, an arena, a convention center, a sports commission and, uh, an ice arena and a theater. And it was just the diversity of that job like kept me going. And I, I love the diversity of all the different elements and uh, sports is definitely still at the heart of it and uh, still got to do concerts and it was just a lot of fun. And, you know, basically from there, I came out and joined the Sacramento Kings and uh, have been with the organization since 2015 and have been having a ball here. Uh, it was a lot of fun transitioning from a really old venue that was built in 1988. Uh, many of the staff members had been there since 1988. Okay, yeah. The technology that I think was used in 1988 was from the 70s. At okay. least it seemed like it in the building. Yeah. So uh, the staff definitely hadn't been exposed to a lot of the new technology. So we went from really being like the oldest venue in the NBA to being the newest. Yeah. And it was this journey we got to take the staff on. And that was probably the most exciting and most rewarding element was just people who had been so proud to be a part of that organization from day one, mm -hmm. being able to actually do some of the things they had dreamed of and, and do it better than they had dreamt. And yeah. just really making it uh, a completely different experience for the employee, for the fan. And uh, I think one of the things I, I, I'm really excited about what we do is the experience we make it for the artists and their crews oh, that yeah. come in. And we really pay a lot of attention to that, to make it special for them while they're living on the road and to really make it easy for them to do business in our building and, and to make it relaxing for them so they can put on the best show possible. So, you know, yeah. everybody's operating at their A game, nobody's distracted, everything just works. And yeah. it was really exciting just to see uh, some of the different uh, 
bargaining groups come to the table and, and just want to step up and help. And it seemed like we all had a common focus to like really make our town a better place. And it, it wasn't the effort of anyone, it was the effort of everyone. And mm -hmm. it really united everyone and it really became a special place. And uh, it, it was amazing to see the difference. And I think in our last year in Sleep Train, uh, Polestar Magazine ranks all the concert venues and we were ranked 133rd in the world. We just pulled the rankings uh, from 2020 and we were ranked uh, 23rd in the world. So wow. we moved up 100, over 100 points. Wow. So it's absolutely amazing to be a part of that team that transcends 100 spaces yeah. Uh, to be a top 25 building in the world. And what do you attribute that to? What do you attribute that giant shift from? Uh, I really attribute it to uh, it being, number one, people being proud of what they do and okay, us okay. creating uh, systems to allow them to do their job better by providing world-class training. The, the wow. NBA has a, a, a contract with Disney and the Disney Elevate program has been a key part of elevating that guest experience. There's a lot to be learned from that. And I think that was a huge part of just training everybody on the guest experience, but everybody having that focus that the guest experience was super important and making sure everything was designed about not only having it be seamless and easy for people to do business and to buy a ticket and to get mm -hmm. in and out of the building, but to make it interesting, interesting with the food, interesting with the way they interact with people. And so the actual transaction of getting into the building and getting to your seat was easy. And it gave you more opportunity to sort of connect with the artist on stage or the game on the court or whatever it is you wanted to connect with. But we were there to entertain you with our food, with our merchandise, with our other elements when in sort of like the downtime of that. And just really focusing on that was a big thing. The excitement of the new venue was a big part of it too. Uh, the, you know, part of it is we've also installed a new signage district. And so we received, uh, we, we promote all of our shows on all these signs now. So instead of one marquee, we basically have six marquees around town that promote all of our upcoming events and building that awareness on, uh, on our events is a huge thing. And one of our big pushes in it was. Uh, increasing uh, our email database, increasing the number of followers we have in social media. And uh, I think the last time we looked, uh, Madison Square Garden had 500,000 followers and uh, our social media team was quick to point out that we have 1.5 million followers on Facebook. Wow. And it was like, holy smokes, how did we do that? Yeah. And yeah. So when a post goes out, it's going out to more people and you know, the more awareness you have of an event helps you really transcend some of those elements and, and building good partnerships with the media is really a, a key element to that. Uh, the ads that get run for the shows aren't, aren't really as important as it, when the DJ gets on and says, oh my, that, that sounds like a great show. Mm -hmm. That's worth a thousand ads. I mean, just 
like somebody, a familiar voice on the radio talking about a show in a very positive manner, uh, it leads a lot, it builds to a lot more excitement. And uh, I think Ticketmaster had done a, uh, it seems like they do the same study every year, but they did a study to where uh, they found, they, had, they asked people what shows they wanna see. And then they sent this survey out and said, hey, you wanted to see Bob Seger. And it's like, Bob Seger was in town last week and we noticed you didn't buy a ticket. We'd like to know why. And so they did extensive polling and surveying of these people. And the number one reason why people said they didn't go to a show they wanted to go to was because they didn't know about it. Hmm. And it's like, that seems crazy to me. But yeah. like, that was the number one reason why people missed a show that they wanted to go to. And so there's been a big push in marketing to really help push through our marketing channels, through our digital media channels, through our social media, just to make sure people are aware of everything that's going on and that we're not missing that opportunity. And yeah. that really helps coupled with uh, selling shows out, helps get other top quality shows to want to come. And when the shows make good money in your building, they tell their friends. And so yeah. <laughs> all the top shows then want to come and it's sort of a self-perpetuating uh, really good thing that's going on. And uh, I would say Sacramento has built a very good reputation for hosting people, very good backstage. And I think the number one way you can improve the guest experience on a concert or even a basketball game is making sure it's full. And when yeah. the events are full, it is a completely different energy than when there's a bunch of empty seats and yeah. nothing sucks the energy out of a room like empty seats. Mm -hmm. and, and some of it is smoke and mirrors because some of the seats are intentionally empty because you can't really yeah. see good. Well, if you have them look like they're empty, it's still people are like, oh, it's too bad they didn't sell. So yeah. just as simple as covering up those seats uh, really starts to add to the positive energy to where uh, you, if you're in your career, it's like, you know, um, if I'm from a guest experience, it's like, how do I, how do I make it better for them? And it's like, making them feel like they're part of something other people couldn't go to or like that that really goes a long way everybody feels a little prouder yeah everybody's a little prouder for the ticket they got and all of a sudden you know it's like oh wow it's like i bet a lot of people missed out on this because it's full mm -hmm. yeah it, it changes a lot when people see empty seats regardless if they were intended or not but uh yeah. uh it's driving that home to really do whatever you can to sell all the tickets and make that guest experience one to where people tell their friends and you have uh, every single person who's attended an event at your venue and it'd be an unpaid ambassador for you so okay. that they're telling everyone how cool it was and uh, creating those Instagrammable moments so that uh, people can memorialize this amazing experience they had and they can stick their nose out at all their friends and say, you guys feared that you were going to be missing out. I'm now like making sure you know you missed out. <laughs> and so uh, yeah. making it fun that way. Uh, one, 
to that point, like inside our venue, we are the most connected venue in the world. We have yeah. 1100 Wi-Fi access points that all home run to a tier four data center. Yeah. And we have a 200 gigabyte symmetrical service. So it's 200 gigs out, 200 gigs in. So you can live stream every single person in the venue. It's designed for 18,000 people to be able to upload simultaneous pictures or live stream. So uh, it is yeah, absolutely amazing that everybody can be on their social media while they're in the venue and making sure all their friends know that, hey, we know you wanted to come, but you probably couldn't have because there's no seats left anyways. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love the, the idea of the exclusivity. Um, and that's something that I, I look forward to being able to get back to for sure, to, to have those sold out spaces, whether it is, you know, DTE or Little Caesars Arena. I, that's something that I don't think I realized how much energy that truly did give me until I haven't had anything like that. I haven't experienced anything like that in the last year. Yeah. And I would say the one thing I probably missed the most along those lines is it's that moment when you've worked all day helping a concert get organized and get coordinated. You may have worked for a year to get that concert there. And all of a sudden now it's coming to fruition and the, the lights go dark. And for one split second, the entire arena goes silent. You know, you hit, you have this mumble of a roar prior, it goes dead silent. And then everybody's eyes focus it changes from wherever they were looking at, whatever they were doing, it all stops. And they focus right onto the center of the stage to see that artist come out. And it goes from a, a, a mumble, a mumbled roar to dead silence to the loudest noise you've ever heard before the music even starts. Yeah. And it's that energy everybody brings into that venue at that moment that it, it inspires you to want to be better it inspires you to want to do more for them. It inspires you to want to do it again. Yeah. Oh, and it's rewarding. Like I've worked all day and like, this is why, like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And you take that moment to take it in and you get right back to it. <laughs> you yeah. It only back into whatever you're doing. It only takes like 10 seconds and it, yeah. it really is inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you've hit on a couple um, areas of uh, areas that you lead in your role. Um, and it sounds like your, your main role is just overseeing the guest experience um, overall, but what are some of the specific groups that you lead or the key responsibilities within your role? Sure. Well, there's a lot of them and like, yeah. it seems like different areas require attention at different times. And uh, I'd like to think all of our areas uh, lead themselves. And, you know, we really kind of pay attention to the areas that need uh, more help or are either in a transition or uh, need more focus in, or are some of our critical elements. And um, I would say like the biggest areas, uh, the guest experience is one that really has to be perfect for everyone. Uh, with that and food and beverage really kind of go hand in hand to make sure like that that experience is amazing for our fans that come in. 
but people don't think about some of the other elements like you know making sure uh security guards are in place or that ushers are in place or ticket takers or that the custodials custodians are in place or the housekeepers are in place and that they all have the same information through our event management team yeah. to make sure that everyone is saying the same thing cuz you know yes. I, you can't have a, a, an ambassador out front welcoming people saying hey you can bring in a bag the size of your palm not my palm but your palm yeah. Yeah. and then a sign that says it's it needs to be 4 inches by 6 inches right it, it's yeah. like everybody has to have the same the same script and yeah. it's really making sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's pushing in the right direction and that uh everybody's working towards that same common goal and, and i think that's probably the biggest area that we focus on is making sure everyone is focused on the same common goal and then it's implemented consistently throughout all departments and just yeah. For, so it's a seamless experience for the guests as they come in, pull into one of our parking garages to go through the entertainment district. Uh, as they enter the arena, uh, we, we kind of have these different layers that they go through from uh, we have the parking operation to the warm and fuzzy welcome uh, okay. to a, a little uh, harder welcome, but like prepping them to go through a security screening. Mm -hmm, so, yeah. uh, and they all have different goals, right? Like the greeter right in front of the, the security screening, their goal is to get you prepped so that you go through the security screening without setting it off, right? Mm -hmm. While following the rules, like they're making sure you know what the rules are and what to expect so mm -hmm. that you can follow the rules and get through it as quick as possible to get you in. And the security's job is to make sure it's safe for everyone and like that they're following their protocols and getting everyone in. And as soon as you get through that, we need then need to scan your ticket. And uh, our, our venue is a big circle. So it's like, they just have to tell you right or left. So yeah. as soon as you kind of come in, their job is to get you going right or left to get you closer to where your section is. Uh, we have a crew that focuses on wayfinding and signage and, you know, it's part of our guest experience team to make sure that you go to the right section and there's staff there to help along the way and making sure the restrooms are clean and everything is set up and that your chair works, that your, uh, the lights in the venue work, the electrical in the venue works, the, the plumbing in the venue works it's at the right temperature for everything to work perfect. Uh, we have 700 IP TVs that we program to make sure like the messaging on that is consistent with everything else we're doing. And uh, now other groups manage the, the monetization of that. We have a really great partnership team that's out there selling it. And, you know, they're putting up partners uh, messages as well, but helping to coordinate with them to make sure that, uh, the messages are consistent with what we're doing and, you know, it's never really a problem, but like you always have to be on the lookout for sort of a contradictory message to yeah. <laughs> something you're trying to pull off, but uh, everybody's on the same page. So it all works and it all comes together uh, to helping make sure the stage hands are happy and you know that they're all showing up because mm -hmm. some of the big shows require a lot of stage hands. Oh, and yeah. 
uh, our steel like rigging is a big deal uh, in, when you're putting on concerts and events and our steel is at 115 to 120 feet, which means there's a variation in it. So it's harder to calculate. So it's, it's a lot harder to rig on steel that's not the same level. So they have to calculate uh, calculate the points and it's a little more complicated for them, but making sure we have training for them so that they know how to do it and to know how to do it right and uh, can do it extremely well. Yeah, well, you, you touched on um, something that I wanna circle back to about everyone having the same goal and everyone knowing what that goal is and being able to accomplish that goal day after day. So what is that goal for your organization and how do you train and engage and motivate people to, you know, your frontline specifically to accomplish yeah. that goal and your like management level, mid leadership level too, but how are you motivating your team to behave like a team to accomplish that goal all the time? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's like a great question. And uh, we come up with different programs and we're, we're because of COVID and the pandemic, we're about to reinvent this program. Uh, last year we tried a, or before the pandemic, we tried a digital version. Mm. And prior to that, we had uh, a really novel idea where we used poker chips and okay. every person in management had a poker chip and the yeah. poker chip was called a wow chip. And okay. the wow chip every person in management was given a hundred uh, wow chips. And they were, they were specifically asked to go out catching people doing things right, creating wow moments for our guests and going above and beyond and, and hitting some of our core, core philosophies that we actually do training on. So it's, it's okay. doing annualized training uh, and, and not just annualized, but like training. We do a really big kickoff before the season to where we train everyone on what's expected and everybody goes through the training. Okay. To, everybody being like ushers, restroom, people that work in restrooms, parking attendants, everybody. food and beverage, everybody. I love if it. You were, if you were working in our building, you are going through this training. Full-time, part-time, it doesn't matter. If you're a contractor, everybody goes through it. I love it. And uh, everybody gets the same message, right? It goes back mm -hmm. to the same thing. Everybody gets the same message. It's not like, oh, food and beverage does it better than, than security. It's, or it's like, no, everybody got the same message. Yeah. There's, this is really for the guest experience of everyone. Uh, each department has to do their own training because obviously uh, you train a, uh, a local eats stand worker different than you do a security person or yeah. an usher gets trained a little different than a ticket taker or an elevator operator and just yeah. but some things are the same and uh, we do do mask training for emergency preparedness as well and okay. training is really probably the biggest thing that we do because it's truly the only way to change the culture is through yeah. training, training, and training. And it, it, it can be almost dangerous though, if you only train part of the staff, Yeah. <laughs> because now you have part of the staff going left and yeah. you have the other half of the staff going right and it can kind of pull people apart. So it's important that everybody does the training. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I love that idea of everyone getting that same message. That's something in Orlando when I was there that we did that everyone, no matter if you were a vendor or if you were full-time, everyone went through the 
the training um, annually. And I thought that was really helpful to create that culture, like you're saying. Yeah. And, and I love like that we uh, had management reinforce it through catching people doing things right. And yeah. when a staff member received a wow chip, they then could turn it in and we would have several boxes lined up and we would do a, a drawing once a month to okay. where you put the wow chip you want, you register the number and then you put it in the box you want, you wanted to, uh, you wanted to win. And it might be, you get to park in the loading dock for a month or uh, you get tickets to a home game or a jersey or a TV or, you know, a bunch of different elements that people really just found to be interesting and fun. And uh, once if you really wanted that new TV, it's like, hey, let me go get some more wow chips. And yeah, <laughs> some people were trying to ballot stuff the boxes and it just made it fun. It made it, it made it fun for everyone to be there and it made it a little bit of a game. And, uh, I, I do remember a staff member one time, uh, if we ever have celebrities come into the building, we tell them about the wow program. We always okay. give them a, a stack of the chips. Nice. And so, uh, I'll never forget this Uriah favor. Who's from Sacramento. He comes to a lot of events and I would always give him some wow chips and, this one time, one of our uh, security guards did something really nice for him, mm-hmm. and he handed her a wow chip, and she started shaking. Oh my and gosh! <laughs> she couldn't believe that Uriah Favor acknowledged her for her good work. Yeah. And I said, "Well, what are you going to turn it in for?" She's like, "I'm not giving this away. I'm keeping it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's getting framed on the wall. <laughs> it's getting framed on the wall. And I love it. You know, and a lot of the wow chips didn't get turned in for that very reason, because it meant more to them that somebody acknowledged what they were doing and that they were doing a great job uh, than the prizes you could win. That says so much. That says so much right there um, about just the culture that you've created um, and the culture that your team has, that they just want to be exceptional in in what they're doing. And uh, one thing I want to mention that I hadn't remembered until you started talking about this, but when your, your staff comes in for work, you guys have goodies available for them as a welcome to work at every event, like a little yeah. table set up of, I don't know what this will obviously look like in after COVID times, but of snacks that they could, you know, pick from as a welcome to work, have a great shift. Um, goodie. I just, I think I asked three times, like, wait, you do this, you do this every game for all your employees. I was just yeah. like very shocked by it. Just, I thought that was an incredible that spoke a lot to your culture as well is that you, you value them so much that you provide those. Yeah. So you, you've been really successful in leading a team and, and building this culture. What would you say your keys to success are in being in a leadership role like yours to be able to, um, you know, what, what personality traits or skills do you possess that have helped you be so successful? Um, Great question. I think it's just always trying. And if you don't know how to do something, don't fake it necessarily. Um, I do believe in faking it till you make it, but like you better be close. (laughs) Yeah. Or have Uh, the humility even, I think, to say to your staff, like, hey, I may not know this answer. And I think you'll almost get more respect from your your employees if you do that versus, you know, thinking you can do it all. Yeah. And and it's understanding that difference because like, if you don't know what something is, it's like saying, Hey, I need you because I have no idea what this is. And like, we have to make a decision on this. So 
what do you know about this? And are you an expert on this? Because sometimes I've made the mistake before where I assume they're an expert mm. and they're not. And then they're just sort of in the make it till you fake it or fake it till you make it scenario yeah. because they feel like they're supposed to be an expert on it. And yeah. uh, they probably never experienced it before either. And uh, a lot of the things we do is cutting edge. So nobody's ever done it. So it's, it's not like anybody is a true expert on it. So it's, it's kind of understanding like, Hey, we're, we have an idea of what this is supposed to do, but we need, we need your help to make sure it's actually going to do that. Or like, if it's actually veering away from what we were intending it to do, uh, how do we bring it back or how do we make it better? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And, and I think it's that open communication and, mm. and just making sure people know what's expected. And, okay. you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for that. And uh, just creating systems to reinforce positive things and okay. identifying training to help people with weaknesses uh, without having to call them out on it because, uh, it's pretty humbling and devastating when you have to call out a team member on a weakness. And yeah. um, sometimes it's needed. And like, it's kind of knowing the difference between when you think you can get away with uh, doing it through training for masses or for groups to where it self-corrects or when you actually have to pull a staff member behind a closed door and have a heart to heart about something that's not right. Yeah. Yeah. But no, nobody should ever be left uh, wondering, right? Like they should right. always know right. where they stand and they should always know like they're doing the right thing. And uh, I would say 90% of it is coaching and teaching and listening and uh, making sure that people have the tools they need. And sometimes staff don't really know all the tools they need. So you have to yeah. network like a lot of the calls we participate on and uh, the different meetings that we attend, uh, you hear what other people have implemented and you're like, you know, that's a perfect solution to my problem. Yeah. And, yeah. and you take that idea from somebody else and you, you repackage it and you implement it locally. And it comes across as something completely new and something completely unique. And they're like, how did you come up with that? And mm -hmm. Well, it just seems like the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, being able to provide, um, I think the feedback and the training is a really great point to your to your staff and using that as a tool to develop um, your groups. I think that's that's something that I really love to be able to do as being a leader. That's something I really value is being able to help people get to that next level um, and and creating that culture of transparency and and um, you know, valuing learning and developing versus looking at it as like a threat or not important. Um, yeah. And I, and I also found like when you're doing training um, and I saw this when we brought in the Disney trainers and the Disney trainers, they didn't present anything that we hadn't already presented, but when people left that training, they walked a little taller their, their smile was a little wider. Their eyes were a little brighter. Everything was like a little shinier. And yeah. it was all information I had, I have seen like our, our managers and leaders share. 
And it's weird that when you bring in an expert from more than 70 miles away, how people listen to it more than when somebody inside your organization shares the same exact thing. Yes. And it yes. means more, I think, to the staff. And it's just identifying who those national or world experts are to help reinforce the things you already know. And yeah. it's not rocket science. It's, it's sometimes just presentation. And uh, it's, you're, you're bringing them in for effect, not because they know something new or novel or uh, anything else, but the message can penetrate a lot more when people are open to listening to that expert. Yeah, and I think the NBA has done it the right way and engaging Disney to do that because I think you can statistically say everyone, everyone loves and values um, the Disney brand. Um, so that just has another association to it that people feel strongly about. Um, so Aaron, we could talk about all of this for hours and hours and hours, but we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up here with a question that we ask all of our guests on tips from Chips. So what advice would you have for people who want to be in your shoes one day? Maybe they want to, they're already in their career and they want to switch gears or they're a student listening to this. What advice do you have for them? You know, it, it, first of all, ask a lot of questions and really identify what you want to do. And then once you've figured out what you want to do, ask people there how they got there. And figure the one I was talking to my college roommate uh, last week and he was hiring interns and he's like every intern today wants to make $20 an hour and wants to work 30 hours a week and it's like when I was an intern we worked 40 to 50 hours a week and we didn't get paid <laughs> yeah we got free pizza if we were lucky like <laughs> yeah and and it it's 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 about being passionate about whatever you're doing and it doesn't matter if you are the housekeeper or the security person or the guest experience person. If you are passionate about what you're doing and you treat that job as the most important job in the world and you try to make your work the most important work in the world, it is going to show and you will elevate and you will you will t everything will go to the next level because people will notice a difference in what you do. If somebody's treading water because it's like, oh, well, this is just a stepping stone. The, the person who's looking at you for the promotion is going to say, I don't know if he's going to be good or she's going to be good at that because they don't seem to be really great at what they're doing now. And, yeah. you know, I, I've seen situations to where people are truly amazing, amazing people, but they don't, they feel like they're in the wrong job. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're not putting their whole effort into that job because they're like, Hey, I'm just sitting here putting in my time till I get my real job. And it's like, we can tell. <laughs> yeah. Everybody can tell. And, uh, everything you do every day is your, is your resume. It's your calling card. It's your business card. So mm -hmm. when you get that job and it's an entry level job, it's like treat it as the most important job in the world. Yeah. And, if you treat it like that, people will acknowledge you with that. And other doors are gonna open when you really focus on doing that job better than anyone else has done it before. And, and you're trying to do it in a positive way by, by not trying to like compete with anyone else or, or uh, speak bad of anyone, but you're trying to do it through your own performance. And you're trying to do it through positive like making everything better. And, and sometimes that's a sacrifice of you taking a step back from something to allow 
something that you feel is better for the whole organization to take it because it's going to take it to another another level and you know i think people recognize that and i think it's it's about having that humility to understand like um you focus on your your work your task at hand and you do each task as best as you can and it, it adds up at the end yeah well, I love what you said about passion, about having the passion and bringing what you're passionate about to um, work. Because I also think that's very contagious. Like those around you will see your passion and see your drive. And then those like you will gravitate towards you um, or you'll even lift up the others around you who may not be, um, they may not be passionate, but once they see your passion, it, it kind of gives them energy. So I love uh, that piece of, of what you said. Um, so Aaron, thank you so much for being on Tips from Chips. Thank you. Hey, fellow Chippewas. Thanks again for tuning in to the Tips from Chips podcast. We want to hear from you guys, which sport business leaders and fellow Chippewas you want to hear on our podcast. Please leave us a review and let us know what chips you want to hear sport business tips from. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more Tips from Chips.